podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Imran. Two of us here. We are convening the day after a disappointing loss away to Arsenal. Uh, We'll be talking in depth about that game, obviously. Also talking about Crystal Palace midweek. I mean, Imran, it's not been the greatest week, has it? I mean, last week, you and Colm were chatting after we were all ecstatic winning the Manchester derby and people were talking about title challenges. And one week later, a lot's changed, hasn't it? Well, we were <clears throat> we were very uh, tepid in our talk of title challenges, and this is the exact reason. Um, you're not in a title challenge if you're suddenly 11 points behind Arsenal, which we currently are. So I don't, I don't I, any talk of a title challenge. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't and... really got on that bandwagon yet either, and I'm normally the more optimistic. But I, I'd said if we'd got a result in this Arsenal game, we could start talking about a title challenge. And obviously we haven't. Plus, we obviously dropped points at uh, Crystal Palace midweek too. Um, so, yeah, I was I was asked, I think, in the aftermath of the other, what I was hoping from these two games. And I said, oh, I'd be happy with four points. Mm. And in the end, we've only come out with one point, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, we're definitely going to keep quiet on the title challenge at the moment. But, I mean, generally, we'll also, this is kind of also our kind of mid-season review podcast, because that's where we are now, uh, you know, with the World Cup and all. We've only just gone past that 19-game mark. So, yeah, we're kind of the, so it's generally talking about where we're at, how we're feeling. And look, generally, if we look at it as just half a season, I'm pretty happy with how things are. Yeah, I mean, you have to be. We're in top four, um, joint third. Um, obviously it would be looking a lot rosier if we'd got four points and we were very close to getting four points this week. Um, what, like, added up probably like six minutes away? Ten minutes yeah, away I mean, the getting... two is 91st minute in both matches. Well, Arsenal's was in the 90th, I think. <laughs> All right, but, yeah. yeah, more or less. Um, but yeah, and then actually, to be fair, we nearly stole it at Palace right at the end. Casemiro nearly scored from the corner. So it, it, just you, you would be in a lot different position, I guess, and we'd be what two or three points ahead of Newcastle and but it's but but you have to kind of step back and look at the whole picture and think yeah you've got to be very happy with where we are um you've got to be happy with the job Ted Hag's doing you've got to be happy with most of the new signings I think there'll be there are still question marks over some of them and that's fair enough um but yeah you can't really ask for more from where we were from where we were this time last year as well I mean it's it's night and day Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, let's get into that Arsenal game. I mean, you can't say they didn't deserve the points in this one, really. They did deserve the win, really. Um, I think at half time, I thought they were slightly that they were they were the better side, but I don't think it was like so crazy that we were going in and like won all. Thought it was fair enough. Um, We were pretty dangerous on the counter. Um, We scored a brilliant goal, and whilst they probably had more of the ball and we're doing more of the frantic running around we were still in the game I think even in the second half then it just kind of just got taken away from us in that last 15 minutes we basically did nothing at all and it was just we were just waiting for them to score really um I guess the only annoyance is that it came when it did I think if it come like 10 minutes before it did you'd say fair enough and it's been happening and it would hurt a little less I guess but the fact that it was 90th minute and it was a really jammy goal as well with fractional offsides and a jammy deflection. I think it took his Fred's foot really, doesn't it? Fred comes in for the mm. tackle and it kind of bounces over to Enketia. Like several things needed to go right for it to go in, but it did. Um but yeah, it's annoying, but I think we didn't deserve the win really. Yeah, we didn't. And XG shows 2.9 for Arsenal and we're at a paltry 0.3 for this game. I mean, obviously, Rashford's goal is an absolute worldie. Uh, You'd even say Martinez off that kind of corner is kind of a bit of like luck in there. Um, I wouldn't say that's luck. I think that's a brilliant header um, and a very difficult. I don't think that's I mean, that's a pretty low percentage chance that he has to head it over a ton of people while the ball is. Waist height. It's a good job he's only five foot two, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, he can um, he can get his head to that. He wouldn't have if he was taller. So yeah, I, I, it's a it's a fair result. And then to be fair, Inketia probably should have scored 
before he did the one that De Gea saved, that was a poor shot from him. He's basically six yards from goal and got pretty much the whole thing to him and he hit it almost right at De Gea. So it was coming. Uh, I don't think anyone who was watching the game can, can say it came out of the blue and it was more of a, well, there it is kind of reaction as opposed to, oh, no. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you there. Half time, I was pretty happy. I thought we were banging the game. Yeah, Arsenal had more possession and more play but yeah we'd had a couple of chances Rashford as well had another chance uh, they then took out Ben White because Rashford mm. was really having a good go at him plus he was on a yellow card and I think that made a big difference for them uh, in the second half we created very very little and you know you hoped that we could still obviously hold on we were like minutes away but yeah it didn't happen I mean what would you put down to though because look we've just beaten Manchester City a week ago and we didn't say we were unlucky there either. You know, XG showed we had enough chances and we were worthy of that. Whereas, you know, in this game, we've not created much. We were really bad. I mean, obviously, the big talking point was missing Casemiro. And that mm. goes back to the Palace game. I mean, I don't know if you had any thoughts. A lot of people were saying he shouldn't have played and this kind of thing. No, I don't, I mean, I don't agree with that personally. I mean, he should have played. Because, um, I mean, we didn't even win the game, so... <laughs> he should have played. I think the, I think it, it becomes more annoying that we didn't win the game when he played as well. Um, and ultimately, like it's just one of those things. He got a book in. It happens. I wouldn't have taken him off either with 70 minutes ago. I don't think you can take off Casemiro when you're losing 1-0. Uh, when you're winning 1-0, sorry. Um, it's a poor pass from Bruno, who I, I thought was dreadful against Palace. One of his worst games for us. And he has them from time to time, especially when he's on the right wing. I think he's very ineffectual on the right wing. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it just happens. It's, it's a really bad... One thing to him, fair play to him, at least he got booked for a terrible, terrible tackle. It wasn't like a, a borderline trip or anything or something where you're like, oh, why are you booking him for that? It was... That is definitely a booking. So at least he, at least he went all out. Yeah, it was a clear yellow card. I mean, it was a poor tackle. I don't think he actually needed to do it either. I didn't think the situation was as dangerous as maybe he might have no, thought he it didn't. was. It, but but it, it's probably just natural reaction. He's, he's not thinking, oh, I'm on a booking for Arsenal. I bet he's just, I need to stop this now. It's his natural reactions taken over. And it's what you get with a player like Casemiro at the end of the day. He's going to get booked. He's That's going to happen. And it's just, it is just one of those things. Ultimately, in the future, you'd want to be in a position where we have the squad to deal with such a thing. Um, Man United should be in a position where one player coming out shouldn't be a big deal. But ultimately, we're in a position at the moment where if you lose Casemiro, if you lose Rashford, I mean, they're our big two, then, then it is like you are worried. Um, and hopefully that won't be the case this time next year. Yeah, they are absolutely are our most important two players. I mean, and you see the difference. I mean, and that, I mean, I will go back to the question I was asking you is what do you think the major difference was? Why we couldn't kind of hold on to this in the second half, whereas, you know, versus Manchester City, who are a team that a lot of people say are better than Arsenal, uh, we, we managed to come out with three points. Do you put um, it down to Casemiro or what else? <clears throat> I put it down to Casemiro not being there. I put it down to the fact that Arsenal um, just swarmed us more than City. City won't change their play when they're losing by a goal and they'll just keep passing it around and passing it in front of you and you can kind of deal with that a little bit better than Arsenal who were just frantic and running at you and we had problems with... And we were having those problems with... We weren't having those problems with City anyway during the game. At no point during the City game we were like, oh my God, we're really suffering in defence here. They, even, they scored one goal from one chance basically. Whereas Arsenal were constantly at us, battering us for pretty much the entirety of the second half and a lot of the first half as well. Saka was a constant threat, um, and Ketia was getting in good positions. So it was it was always happening. So it was harder to thwart, and that's why actually I thought he should have brought on a. I mean, hindsight's brilliant and stuff, but I thought he would have brought on an extra defender actually. Um, but he's not re he's not really done that Ten Hag apart from very very late on. He doesn't go extra defender until maybe like the 92nd, 93rd minute. Um, and it's easy to say, oh, bring on an extra defender. But then when you score, you say, oh, why'd you go so defensive? So it's it's one of those things. But I do think there is there is room to put in just an extra body in that middle, especially because they were finding gaps in there. I mean, yeah, if we look at the starting lineup, I was actually surprised that he went with the kind of McTominay, Ericsson midfield. I thought Fred would start this game. No, I, uh, I, I'm not surprised because I don't think he likes Fred as a centre. I don't think he thinks that Fred has the discipline to be the defensive midfielder that he wants in the game. And that's someone who's disciplined, who sits, who 
doesn't no, but really I was talking about McTominay and Fred starting oh, the you game. Oh, yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was I talking about that's going, too back, <laughs> going back that's to too... Ole uh, McFred with uh, Ericsson at 10, with Bruno out wide. That is what I was expecting him to go with. I mean, I know we beat Arsenal with this midfield of McTominay and Ericsson early in the season. Yeah, uh, I think that's what he was looking for, really. But they didn't have Partey at the time. Although Partey didn't have a, a particularly great game, to be fair. He thought he was one of their least factual players. Um, I think he likes Ericsson in there for his intelligence and his, his ball passing ability, but obviously against a frantic midfield like Arsenal, his legs get show, get shown a bit and that happened for the second for their second goal. Um again it's hindsight, isn't it? You put Fred McTominay in there, we've seen how that badly that can go. No, I mean that is what I well, put so. out as the formation I wanted at the start of the game before the match kicked off. Um I you know, there's a lot of people now pelters at McTominay um, and in fact it started even after the Palace game I mean he's not in the everybody's good books at the moment but I mean look he's not Casemiro and he's never gonna be and the big thing we miss obviously is Casemiro's passing and that's where it was lacking here I mean if if we look at things like the passing stats it's really we do see where we fell down over there I mean it might not be even that surprising that we see somebody like McTominay he's down at like 75 percent mm. on passing accuracy mm. but the big shock is seeing somebody like Christian Eriksen who's normally in the kind of mid 80s uh, and he's at 70 percent for this game uh, yeah. so it shows you exactly where we've lost this match it has been in that midfield we couldn't keep hold of the ball when we got it we kept giving it back to Arsenal uh, especially in that second half and that's exactly where we've lost this match and you know somebody like Ericsson is the one you want to rely on to keep hold of it you know you have less expectation on McTominay you know if Fred had started you don't necessarily expect him to be the best passer either but yeah that is where we've lost it and then as well people like Bruno are in the 70s Weghorst down at like 63% uh, I mean, he's now played two matches. He's come straight into the team. He started that Palace game as well. We can't have huge expectations on him. He obviously is only playing because Martial is injured. But uh, what's your kind of initial impressions of Weghorst? I thought he was all right, you know. <clears throat> he's getting a little, quite a lot of stick, actually. Well, not stick, more like, well, this is what you get. But I thought, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought he was all right. Some good... He's a good base to play off, and there were actually some good touches in there, some good layoffs. It's clear he's not played with the team that long. The wavelengths aren't quite there, um, and he wants some things happening, and <clears throat> he wants balls played to certain areas, and they're not getting there, or he's laying off in certain areas, and people aren't there. Like he, there's no one. We need to get more around him for his knockdowns for a start, um, because he can actually knock it down into decent areas. But and then when people are there, they generally feed off it quite well. But of when he's isolated, then you, you, no one's going to feed off those knockdowns. But yeah, in all, I think he's doing all right. You know, I think he'll only get better as well. Um, and these are, I mean, Arsenal is a hard game regardless of who you are up front. Um, and then Palace was his first game after what two training sessions, if that. So he'll only get better as time goes on. And I, I actually, I actually think he's done all right. I think um, for what we got, for what we're expecting, a two million pound loan signing, I think he's doing okay. Yeah, he is doing okay for that. Uh, I think the big problem for him is when he was getting the ball, he's, you know, getting it around the kind of halfway line and being the one who has to hold it up and lay it off. He hardly is getting the ball in the penalty area. He, we didn't create any chances for him really to score. So it's not like he's missed any chances or anything like that. We haven't created much for him to really be doing mm. that. And yeah, we're not used to playing with that kind of striker yet. Although, yeah, even Martial, he is doing a lot of hold-up play when he's playing for us. You know, people have been in, complaining about his stats recently, but I think often with Martial, you kind of miss how much link-up play he does, how much work he's doing around the kind of team. Uh, and that is what helps somebody like Rashford. You know, they these kind of players are the ones who are having to do the hard work to set up somebody like Rashford. Uh, and if you look at kind of even, you know, average position, Marcus Rashford is way, way, way ahead of some Weghorst or Martial whenever they're playing. So even though they are on paper, our kind of central striker, hmm. Marcus Rashford is always our most advanced player. And that's why, yeah, he's getting most of our goals. He's getting uh, through a lot of work though, at least his Weghorst. Like he's putting in a lot of, lot of yards, a lot of pressing, um, filling, in for, filling in for Rashford. That left on that left hand side when he needs to as well. So he's putting in the ads. I do think it'll come actually. I'm I'm fairly optimistic that he'll get grab a goal in one of these forest games, grab a goal or two and he'll be it'll be off and running actually. It'll turn out to be a, a fairly 
shrewd signing by the end of the season. No, yeah, and that's on Veghorst. I mean, yeah, you talked as well, if we're talking in general about kind of the mid-season mark and signings and all, I mean, the other one is Anthony. I mean, I would not have started Anthony in this Arsenal game. He wasn't in my predicted lineup. I don't think he's been so great, especially since the kind of World Cup. I mean, before that, I thought he was doing all right. You know, he has got a few goals here and uh, set up a couple of goals here and there. So he's not been awful by any means. But I think... I think one of the problems for Anthony is that he obviously had a massive, massive price tag. But I think everybody knows that we kind of overpaid for him just because Ten Hag wanted one of his old guys in. Uh, But, you know, for a young player new to the Premier League, he's doing all right. I just think the level of expectation because of that 80 million price tag, he's nowhere near that kind of level just yet. Um, I mean, I personally, like I said, would not have started him at the moment. The right side for us is still a problem. You know, Bruno's having a couple of games there. It doesn't suit him that well. Uh, Ilanga has not had a great season either. Um, Palestri, we kind of mentioned, he's only had like 10 minutes and looked like he should be given more minutes, but he's at the moment, he's not getting anywhere near the pitch. But I wouldn't I mean, be surprised your... if we see him a lot more in these Forest games, actually, Palestri. Um just because again, what options do we have on that right side? Um, I can I can see Palestri getting some minutes. Yeah, I mean, he still looks like he's behind Alanga though. Uh, so you know, if he's mixing it up and throwing in somebody to start, he's still unlikely to be Palestri. He's more likely to be Alanga. But anyway, look, what's your mid-season kind of review of Anthony? Uh, he's not great. Um, apart from when he bangs out a worldie, which he is. License to do. Actually, his finishing generally is all right. He did miss one big chance in a game fairly recently. I can't remember who it was against. But other than that, his finishing is generally all right. But he does seem to be playing very cautiously and within himself. And he doesn't really take on men a lot, which is weird for when you got Anthony, you think, oh, he's going to start facing people up and taking them on. But he doesn't really. Sometimes he runs out on the outside of the wing and gets a corner and stuff. And you think, do more of that. But then he only does it like once or twice a game. And it's not really a constant threat down his side. He's quite, he's a lot slower than I expected him to be. Um, he's not the quickest and that probably doesn't help him when taking on players and he realizes his skill, which he's not. I just feel like he's probably not highest on confidence, not the best form. So he's, And it's a new league and stuff and you've got to work into it. So we could be having a completely different discussion this time next year, but that price tag is, it's a big, big burden around his neck. Um, whether we like it or not, whether we want to judge him by it or not, people will. When you spend eighty million on a <clears throat> on a right winger, then you expect the world, and it's going to be very, very difficult to him to deliver that. Regardless, even if he turns into a what is a what a very good right winger, he'll never be. I don't. I, I just can't see him being a, a world class right winger. But it's it's still early days in the grand scheme of his United career. But but yeah, it's it's telling that basically that. <clears throat> When we, uh, I mean, we don't want him to start. We didn't want him to start this game. He didn't start City games. We spent eighty million on a right winger who we're like, well, we probably shouldn't play him on the right wing because we should play someone else out of position on the right wing. I mean, look, he does do kind of hard work for the team. At least that's definitely one thing you do get from him. And I think that is one of the reasons why Ten Hag knew he could trust him on that side of it. He's just not offering enough kind of creativity from that side. Uh, I did think, though, that I think that he's looks like he's dropped off since the World Cup. I thought he was playing better before then. He has had Mm -hmm. a couple of injuries in the meantime as well. Uh, (laughs) And of course, you know, he came in and scored against Arsenal on his debut. That was when we beat Arsenal earlier in the season. That was his debut. He scored a goal. But yeah, and then I thought, as I said, up till the World Cup, I thought he was kind of doing all right. Like, But since then, I really do think his level has dropped since before it. Uh, as you say, one of his main issues is his speed. Like, he doesn't, he's not a fast player at all. There was one kind of moment where he had a bit of a break. And then I think it was Partey who kind of caught him up from way behind him uh, when he was on the ball and kind of showed the lack of speed he does have. Um, he's obviously got some good skills. But yeah, I guess we need to try and... It'll be something working on in training to get him in sync with like Weghorst for what his runs, what kind of ball does he want? Mm. We have to see from his there. crossing I is do... quite poor, is what I would say. His crossing has been very lackluster so far. That's his one part of his game. I thought that is it needs to improve quickly. His crossing is generally quite terrible. I mean, I do think as well that he, you know, talking about saying he'd seen better kind of pre-World Cup than after, I think he'd made quite a good understanding with Dallow and he's not got any kind of understanding with Juan Bissaka so far. So I don't know whether it's because, you know, Dallow and him, obviously they speak the same language. That probably helped them to kind of 
progress together as a kind of pairing whereas at the moment you don't see much kind of wavelength um, but working on the same wavelength between Juan Bissaka and him at the moment so yeah I think that has probably been an issue for him there um, but yeah if we look at these kind of goals now that have happened in this match then are, who, are you putting particular blame on defenders on any of these goals or do you think it's just decent Arsenal play? Um, first goal, I mean, Wan-Bissaka does fall asleep, which he's likely to do at the back post. When he's defending the back post, he's fairly likely to fall asleep at times. Um, it's a and he was defending the other post, wasn't he? He had ended up on the other side. Well, no, because of a corner, yeah. in, in the end, he ended up on the other side. And it, we kind of, they played a short corner and we just didn't push out enough, really. And then they just mainly worked a good crossing opportunity and, yeah, Wan-Bissaka falls asleep. But it's a shame for him because I thought he was our man of the match against Palace. Um, and put in an incredible last-ditch tackle on Zaha to mean that we actually got a point from that game. But yeah, he was our, probably one of our better players against Palace. And in this game, I thought we saw a bit of a Wambasaka of old where, yeah, he'll do a very good meaty slide tackle, but then he'll switch off a lot or half-heartedly close people down, uh, stick out a lazy leg to block across, that sort of stuff. Um, the Wambasaka of old. So a bit disappointing because we thought, mm, here's a player maybe changing his ways. But yeah, I mean... It's a hard game against Arsenal. Ultimately, we are talking about Arsenal. We are talking about the, be- the, the best team in the league at the moment. Um, and they've got some very, very good players. So it's going to be a tough game for everyone. Um, but yeah, one second on that first goal, just completely falls asleep. Second goal, Saka. It's a brilliant goal again. Ericsson, yeah. Maybe just a bit better. But I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic goal. I actually think, weirdly, I actually think De Gea could save it. I, I I first thought that because you see how far it comes. But I was actually sat with a goalie watching this match in the pub, and he said, "No, there's no blame on De Gea for this one." So I'll take I, the goalkeeper's not opinion. Not blame, but he dives really late. If you look, I at think when he, he dives, doesn't see he does... it straight away because you know I think when it, initially the shot comes, there's quite a few players ahead of De Gea. I think he doesn't see that shot until it's like already kind of in the box area. But uh, we've been we've been spoiled by De Gea saving crazy shots in the past and even at, at that very ground we've seen him save some crazy shots in the past so well, he even made a couple of good saves in this game he made a couple of good saves against palace mm. as well i mean yeah. even though the xg shows we did deserve to win that palace game he made at least two pretty decent saves that he like did. kept us in it in that game uh, uh, i don't know i just i'm not saying it's his fault but i'm saying like he could potentially have saved it potentially uh, and the last goal again. It's, it's just a bit of a it's a bit of a jammy goal, really. Ball comes in. Wamsak doesn't do a great job of closing down. Ball kind of ricochets to Enkia, who is very luckily not offside. Like I don't think he's play he's playing for Wamsak to play him on. He's just behind the centre back accidentally, and he's got lucky that he's onside. So it's yeah, one of those things. Yeah, I think, like you say, it kind of seems a lucky scramble, but in the end, they probably deserved it. Uh, We will take a quick break there, come back, finish talking about this Arsenal game, a bit more on Palace, and look ahead at some of the other things that are going on around Manchester United. And we're back. I mean, yeah, we were talking just before about whose fault any of the goals were. I mean, I did mention it. I do just think we should have a bit more chat about Rashford's goal, though, at least that started oh, us off in this a, game. What a goal. Uh, is that our goal of the season so far? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, that is not just... Uh, he he wins the ball back. He just sends party to wherever, some, some other game entirely, and absolutely leathers it into the bottom corner. Absolutely. I mean, that is a player at the peak of his powers doing that. Um, in the form of his life, um, just brilliant. And it's it's funny, really. You've got you've got Rashford doing that. You've got Saka doing what he did as well in the second half. And you're thinking these are England's two best players at the moment. And did they start a World Cup game together? No. Yeah, I mean, especially Rashford. Saka did get a, quite a lot of minutes. To be fair to him, but no, yeah. Saka did. I mean, just like you want them both on the pitch at the same time, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, Rashford, like you say, he's in absolutely the form of his life. There was some stats that had been thrown out before this game about how he doesn't score many goals away from home. And I don't think he'd scored at the Emirates before either. Uh, so yeah, he's blown at least those two stats out. 
But yeah, look, as you said, if he got injured or something like that, then we really would be wondering what's going on over there. Because yeah, Rashford and Casemiro are absolute most important players of the season so far. Dallow as well, like should be mentioned earlier on in the season, you know, he's kind of disappeared and uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka's come in and done a good job. But earlier in the season, before the World Cup, I think if we're picking out the best players so far, Dallow was definitely getting a shout there as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I think mean, our, yeah. it's interesting, our our of the season so far conversations actually because i think at one point martinez kind of was the one everyone was talking about but then he came out of the team for a while and now it's probably rashford isn't it but then casemiro as well is probably up with him uh luke shaw's in there and then he didn't he didn't have the best best game against arsenal but for me he would be probably second behind rashford for player of the season so it's uh is it, the fact that we have a lot of players up there in discussion is a good thing. And Varane it is, as well. Varane, it is. I Varane, think, uh, Varane will be up there as well. Well, Varane, yeah, De Gea's had a rejuvenated season as well. I mean, he's doing really well. And uh, he's also, if you saw now, he just entered our top 10 appearance holders of all time after that Palace game. Mm. And, and we'll probably go further up that list. I think Dennis Irwin now is in number nine, about 20 ahead of him. So you'd kind of expect that De Gea he will did. move up that list uh, by the end of this season. Uh, <clears throat> but so- I'll, I'll, I'll make Ashwin of this of this uh, parish happy by saying that he really disappointed me in this game, did De Gea. He really irritated me a lot. Um, because the one thing I do like about De Gea, the fact that he's not great at kicking, is that he'll know when to get rid. Like there are times when he'd just be like, I'm just going to boot this. And he didn't do that in this game. Like he did, he did in the second half. In the first half, he was like, "No, I'm definitely going to pass this." And then he passed it to Wamsaka, and that's how they got the first corner. He's like, "Why are you passing to Wamsaka? Just boot it." Um, and usually, he's quite good at reading when I should boot it and when I should play it. Um, but he wasn't in this game. And then he's, um, I thought in the second half he was a bit shaky. There was one point where he literally could have just caught a ball under no challenge and decided to punch it five yards. So I don't know. I thought he was a bit all over the place in this game. I mean, yeah, it does hark back to the start of the season when we had that absolute debacle against Brentford and there was a lot of chat about, you know, should he just whack it? Should we be playing these balls inside? I mean, generally, it's not been that much of an issue. Uh, but yeah, in this game, there was a couple of moments when, you know, they were setting up again yeah. to do the little tippy-tappy stuff in the box that I, always worries me. It's it's fine when you, you, you've got to call it, though. You've got to be, you've got to be sensible exactly, about it. Right, yeah. yeah, we can do this now. We've got men over, but when they're up high on you, then you just think, yeah, just get rid of it. Especially now we've got Wakehurst up front. Like, just, just whack it up, see what happens. Um, rather that than lose the ball t- 10 yards from goal, but yeah. But yeah, look, we have to say fair play to Arsenal. Um, they deserved it over here. I mean, I now would much prefer Arsenal to be winning the league than City. Are you on that same yeah, train I mean, of thought? It would be funny, wouldn't it? City spending loads on a striker and then don't win the best striker in the world. Quote, unquote, unquote, and then don't win the league. It's quite funny. City not winning things is always funny, though. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really that bothered, to be honest with you. Uh, Arteta will be insufferable, sure, but whatever. Um, oh, no, I've got a actually... lot of Arsenal supporting mates who will be absolutely insufferable. That's the I don't only... know many Arsenal fans, so I'll be all right with that. Well, plus, yeah. I actually do like a lot of their... Like, Saka's a, a brilliant player, and... Um, I yeah, I'd say Saka just, is the one in this fantastic. match that causes a lot of problems. As you say, Luke Shaw has had a really good season, but he was slightly struggling. And there was a couple of times when you thought, look, Shaw needs a bit of help here. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on here and say it's a problem that Luke Shaw and Saka are buddies. Because I think, um, I think it's, I'm pretty sure they're really good mates from the England stuff. Um, and I think there was even a quote where Luke Shaw was like, say, like, if I had a son, I'd want it to be Bakayo Saka. Uh, at which point I would say maybe that stopped Luke Shaw from booting him up in the air in the first 10 minutes. Because Shaw's not um, adverse to just putting someone on their backside in the first five, ten minutes of a game if he wants to. Um, but he didn't really do that in this game. He didn't really get up Shaw, uh, Saka at all. And I wonder if that's because they're mates. There's my tinfoil hat moment. Well, I don't know. Yeah, because he like, you know, Saka obviously scored that one. And then he did also hit the post. And, uh, you know, a couple of other times he was getting through. I just, I, I do think as well, yeah, one thing that I've not mentioned, but is that we've played too many games. You know, we had the oh, midweek yeah. game. Arsenal did not have a midweek game, so they were fully fresh from the week before. Uh, I said it on the last time I was on this podcast, but I actually say it all the time, and it never seems to happen, is that I would have happily sacrificed, for example, the FA Cup and just said, look, we don't need this in all this kind of run of games we've got. Um, that's what we've got coming up now. It's going to be three cup matches in a row because uh, we've got Forest, then 
Reading in the FA Cup and then Forest again in the two-legged uh, Carabao Cup yeah. semi-final. I, mean, I think we can see a lot of rotation in these games because ultimately these next two games we can afford to not win. I mean, a draw at Forest is fine um, in a two-legged cup tie. Um, I mean, it's Reading at the end of the day, so we should win with uh, whatever side we put out. But again, uh, as long as we don't draw that game, I think fine again. Uh, I'm not going to be that upset. Um, and then just make sure we beat Forest next week to get through to the final. Because really, the League Cup, we should be we should be prioritising that League Cup, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, look, we will talk a little. Let's talk about this in the last part of the show because we'll talk about the match coming up. But yeah, generally, I think that kind of tiredness has been coming in a fair bit. I saw it against kind of Palace, uh, you know, because we'd obviously put in a massive effort in that Manchester City game to get the three I mean, the, points. The only thing about the Palace game is that this this game this is a game that should have happened when it was meant to happen when the Queen passed away. Like there was absolutely zero reason for these games to be postponed at the time, and. They were, and then we have to we we have to suffer the consequences of that being here. There was no again, obviously going back to an issue that yeah, sure, but there's no need for that game to be postponed at all. And now we also have the problem of we have to play Leeds twice in four days. Which yeah, I'm always, I'm always a bit I'm always a bit worried about playing a team twice in a row because you think it seems a bit harder to win both games twice in a row, but well, our actual next uh, Premier League game is Palace again. Uh, yeah, but you know it's it's not in a row because there's three cup matches in between. But that is our next Premier League game is a Crystal Palace at home. Uh, but you look, you know that away draw was a total killer as well. Again, the timing of the goal. Uh, again, I mean on that game, like I say, the XG is totally in our favour. We were at 1.4 with Palace at 0.4. So really, we should have been coming out of that match with the full three points. And we would have felt a lot better even after this Arsenal loss mm. if we'd had that. You know, we'd be ahead of Newcastle and feeling a lot more confident about just, our kind of top four place. It was just a poor second half in that game, wasn't it? First half, we were totally in control, controlled the game, got the goal. And then second half, we really did nothing. Um, nothing at all and we kind of invited them back into the game because they realised we weren't doing anything and then the last 20 minutes they were on the up and we again just weren't offering anything I thought the changes in that game didn't really help us um, and I can't, I'm, I'm struggling to remember because obviously we didn't win so I consigned it to the bin in my head but I don't feel like the changes helped us very much and McTominay coming on wasn't great although we should have had a penalty put that out yeah, there. we should have, we should have actually, that, that was a definite penalty and that's um, the kind of moments where VAR just annoys you so much and then and then yeah you, I mean they score a world in the last minute what can you do like the thing is if you give away a free kick in with 30 yards from goal in the end you think probably, probably alright here and then when it goes in you think oh why do we give away a free kick but 99 times out of 100 that goes over the bar or maybe maybe not 99 times but a lot more like so generally people score unless you're James Ward-Prowse you're only well, scoring I think for him, at least say, I think it is 99 times out of 100. I think yeah. I saw Patrick Vieira post-match. He said, I've never even seen him do that in training, never mind in a match. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, it's just such a freak incident that you think, fair enough, give him that free kick 30 yards from goal, we'll take it. But then he whacked it into the top corner. What can you do? Yeah, absolute killer. And like I say, that is the one that's more disappointing. You know, the Arsenal one is fresh in the mind and losing it again in the last minute is the killer. But yeah, the more that Palace away. But again, I think I put a lot of this down to us just having a ridiculous run of matches. A lot of players have played too many matches. I thought we played too strong a team in that Everton FA Cup game. I'd expected more rotation, whereas he'd put out pretty much a first 11 in that game. And then now I think we pay the price for that. Uh, you know, obviously, we're in the next round of the FA Cup and we won that match. But I think this, these are the kind of matches where you see where you lose out. Players are tired for sure. I mean, even you, in, towards the you, end of that... Go on. I, I say, are you disappointed that we're not adding bodies then? Because you see Arsenal, they've brought in Trossard and they've brought in another player as well from somewhere. He was in the stands yesterday. Chelsea have obviously brought in um, Mudrick and someone else. Um, I don't think City have brought anyone, to be fair, but... City have a gajillion players anyway. So are, are, you, are you disappointed that we're not? I mean, obviously, there's a reason why we're not. I actually think that Ten Hag could rotate a bit more. 
Uh, there's certain players who've played a bit too much. I know, though, after the World Cup, it's he's been trying to get back towards a kind of rhythm. And, you know, some players were not available straight away, like Martinez, and he's been trying to play back towards there. But there is a few players who I think had played too many games. Uh, and like I say, I especially look at that Everton match in the FA Cup where I would have rotated a lot more and not played anywhere near as strong a team as he did. He did rotate a fair bit for the League Cup game versus Charlton and some mm. some players did get a rest in that game but I expected more rotation and more rest for players in that Everton game in particular so it will be interesting to see now how he plays these games that are coming up and yeah you know we can talk a bit more about the fixtures coming so yeah as we said Forest then Reading then Forest again and then you said you're expecting a lot of rotation for these next two games at least right yeah I think it will be you'll see like mixed teams i guess not just like a full reserve team full reserve uh full first team more like a mix mix and match though so like you'd think casemiro will probably start now against forest because he missed arsenal and then ericsson could come out you probably see casemiro and fred against forest for example um and then yeah maybe a couple of other players can get a rest there and then come back in on the weekend against reading um i can see that happening just also just to freshen things up a bit, like we're off the back of two disappointing results. You want to get some freshness back in there, get some win, get some wins back on the board, and yeah, I can, I can, like, I can even see like Maguire will come in for one of the games. You'd think Lindelof, um, what's it, um, and then yeah, the only problem is obviously when Casemiro and Rashford don't play, they're big losses. But Rashford didn't start against, um. He didn't Charlton. start in the FA Cup, did he? Yeah, no, he didn't start in the FA Cup. He came off the bench, so we'll be all yeah. right without him, I think. No, yeah, I think we can be all right. And, like, I, there's some players who I think could have had more minutes this season. I mean, now, obviously, one bis- earlier in the season, I was talking about Dallow being overplayed. Now, one Bissaka's playing every match because Dallow's not even available. Uh, he's done pretty well to kind of bring the likes of Malassia in and out. Uh, there's some other players, I mean, Pelestri, who we've mentioned, has hardly had any game time at all. And, you know, when we did see him get a brief cameo, he seemed pretty decent. I think he should have had some more minutes so far this season. Uh, Garnacho earlier in the season, didn't get much play, but now we see him coming in most matches. I mean, I did think only having made one substitution in that Arsenal game, uh, we were paying the price for that later on the game. I expected maybe Garnacho would have come on earlier and he only threw him in once we conceded that goal. Mm. Uh, and it just gives them kind of something else to think about because we weren't really creating anything. But I can also see it from his perspective. He thinks we're going to hold on and why, you know, change it. We're holding on. We're a few minutes yeah. away. Let's not change it now. But, you know, he'd only made one sub, whereas I said we were definitely looking tired. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of others, like, from the youth team. Like, at the start of the season, I thought we might have seen a bit of Zidane Iqbal this season, and he's not featured at all at any point. Uh, so, yeah, there's a few players around there. I mean, I know he's now actually, maybe Iqbal is behind now, Kobe Mainu in the pecking order, who had that start against Charlton and is being on the bench now for the last few games. So I just think maybe Ten Hag could rotate a little bit more to keep the freshness, but it is the most difficult part especially when you come in as a new manager where you're trying to get a team together where you're trying to get a rhythm so I do totally understand it I mean I remember having similar complaints about Ole um, but but... Ole had a to be fair Ole had a bigger squad that was probably more on level pegging with each other than Eric Ten I think the drop off for Ten Hag is greater um, now than when we from like the drop off from Casemiro to anyone is massive um the drop-off from Varane and Martinez is massive. So these are huge drop-offs when you're taking them out of the team. Um, I, I don't feel like that was the same under Oli. Um, so it's, it's hard for Ten Hag because we, we just don't have that squad depth at the moment. And it is it shows by the fact that when Casemiro gets a yellow card, everyone's fearing the worst. One player out of your sky in 11, you're fearing the worst. Rashford goes down injured against City in the first half and you're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen now? How are we going to score a goal? So it, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's hard because you got you got the, the drop off currently. We just don't have that squad. I think this time next year again. I think it'll be interesting just to, the conversation we'll have then about what the squad is like, um, how much reinforcements we get in, the quality that we have backing people up. I think it'll be a lot different. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to bring in players for the sake of it. There is obviously still time in this window. Ten Hag was asked the other day, "Are you still looking at players?" He said yes, but he said it in a kind of way that 
don't really expect anybody else to come in. In a way that means no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we know as well that our ownership situation is up in the air. And yeah, maybe we'll have a quick kind of touch on that in the last part of the show. So yeah, don't we... But there's definitely not a lot of funds around. We know that. Uh, and, you know, this also goes back to the summer where they spent huge amounts on Anthony and all that. So it was kind of the message had been sent out that there wasn't going to be that much budget for this window. And I don't know whether summer windows and all will depend on the ownership situation that we have to kind of wait and see. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not really expecting anyone else to come in. We're not linked with that many or anybody, but I do think that he could rotate more and try and keep on the freshness. But it is, like I said, one of the most difficult parts of this job is finding that balance between putting out your first 11 who, you know, can get you the best results and trying to keep everybody fresh. Uh, But, you know, some people say, look, everybody has these problems, but we're actually playing more games than anybody because we're the only team who are left in four competitions Plus, because we came second in our Europa League, we've got that extra two matches against Mm. Barcelona next month. So nobody else is playing the amount of matches we are. That's why it is a bigger problem for us than any other team in the Premier League at the moment. And, you know, as I said, that's why I've been talking about saying, yeah, listen, sacrifice this FA Cup. We don't need it. We should be now... bare minimum getting to the final of the league cup and really we should be winning it you know we're big favorites to be winning this cup now um who are newcastle playing it's us versus southampton southampton yeah i mean yeah so you're 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 expecting it's newcastle united final but yeah it doesn't always go that way uh but yeah we're in a good position to be winning that so then if you do then i think you can kind of say listen we don't need to be killing ourselves be going all out for the fa cup either yeah um, I, the only thing is, it's re- if we were playing like a Premier League side, I'd be like, yeah, fair enough, just, just, just duck out, it's fine, whatever. But actually, because it's Reading, you, you you don't really want to go out to Reading, do you? Really? And then once you've beaten them, you're in the fifth round, and then actually things get a bit interesting. Plus, with City playing Arsenal, that's one big team out of the competition. Um, Liverpool are, all, are playing Brighton, and I believe it's away. Which isn't exactly gonna go. Been well, last time they were there, they lost three 0 So we could actually end up. I mean, we are currently the favourites of the FA Cup, lest we forget. So just because of how of it, I don't know. Yeah, we probably will still be actually. Um, so maybe it's a double cup if we just stay in them. Yeah, well, look, Letter, that would obviously be great and we'd be happy with the way even one trophy. I mean, you talked about that double Leeds game. If we drew this Reading game, which would be the worst, worst possible thing, there is still replays at the moment. Oh, and true, then yeah. that, that Leeds game ends up being postponed again. Uh, if, uh, if In fact, if either of us draw, if Leeds draw, I don't know who they're playing in the next round, but if they drew as well, that Not game just, gets... just to highlight back to the Arsenal thing, one thing that Arsenal, both us, Arsenal and City game have told me is that in a one-off game in a final against... Because we could play Arsenal in the Europa League final, obviously. Um, or even the FA Cup final. Same with City. could play with the FA Cup final. In a one-off game against the final against any team, you wouldn't be like... You wouldn't be... You'd, be, you'd still be confident, I think. I think on a different day, we could beat Arsenal. Maybe not... Obviously, they have a different outlook when they're at home. But if it put it... I mean, at Old Trafford, obviously, we already beat them. Beat City at Old Trafford. Put it in a neutral venue. I'd, I'd give us a chance. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, if we'd had Casemiro in this game, I'm pretty sure we could have held on for a draw minimum. Like, uh, you know, you would have expected a lot better. And yeah, maybe Martial as well. Like I said, we're a couple of players away from our best team going out there and playing the team at the top of the division. So yeah, it's hardly the end of the world. Um, All right. I think we'll take another break there before we come back for the last bit of the show, chat a little bit more about a few other things going around the club and the games coming up. Okay, we are back for part three and the last part of the show. Uh, after, like I said, after a bit of a depressing week in throwing away points in the Premier League, let's look on the bright side and talk about the women's team who are doing absolutely amazingly. I mean, uh, it was just before the Arsenal game, the uh, women's match was on yesterday. And there it was the other way around where a last minute winner gave us three points. I mean, early in that game, Katie Zeller missed a penalty. Uh, I say missed, it was actually a great save. But then, yeah, Rachel Williams came off the bench for an 87th minute winner 
winner against Reading women that actually puts our women top of the league on goal difference and with having played the same number of games as Chelsea as well. So it's not like games in hand or anything, which is like absolutely brilliant at this stage. Because I know uh, at the moment for the women, the big thing is just coming top three. But yeah, they're definitely having talk of being in the title challenge at the moment. Uh, so like I say, if you want to have something to cheer yourself up, uh, go and check out what the Man United women are doing. Because yeah, they're really rolling on and form over here. I don't know if you've yeah. had much chance to catch much of the women's stuff in this uh, part of the season. Yeah, you yeah, know, I'm following them a lot actually. Um, we so we'll have to Arsenal will come to us at some point in the second half of the season, which would hopefully work in our favour. But we do have to go away to Chelsea, um, which is a difficult ask. Uh, but we did beat Arsenal away, so you never know. But Arsenal and Chelsea also have to uh, also just played each other, um, and that was a one-all draw. So it's it's int- uh, it's going to be. T- I don't think obviously I don't think there is enough in this United Women's team to actually win the league over Chelsea or Arsenal. Um, just they are just better teams ultimately. But I I do feel like Champions League is looking on, and at which point if we get Champions League, hopefully the chances of keeping Alessia Russo around improve because that's just the big one that um not losing her. Yeah, um, definitely because her contract is up. So that is. Yeah, we need to keep her because um, she's brilliant. So, yeah. Um, obviously yeah, Champions be- League is beating... absolutely the minimum kind of expectation now for the women's team. And I don't think, yeah, it's beyond it all for them to be talking about the title. As I say, uh, their season is kind of further on. <clears throat> and um, so at this point, to be top of the league, although, yeah, Chelsea are joint and Arsenal have a game in hand which would also put them joint on point so it is a proper three-way battle and Manchester City are slightly kind of behind in fourth place and would be the main one to worry about on getting the Champions League places Uh, but the women have actually brought in a couple of players in this window so I think they see that maybe a bit of strengthening will push this on over there Um, we will try and get on and I know we'd had Natalie before to try and give us the full full lowdown of what's going on with Man United women lately but yeah, it's definitely a good place to be. The best season ever for them so far. And like I said, bare minimum, they've got to be finishing the Champions League places now. For the first time ever, it'll be uh, the mm. best finish for our women before. It's always been fourth place and you have to finish top three in the Women's Super League to go into the Champions League. So yeah, that has been in the aim. And yeah, that has to be the minimum expectation at this point now. Yeah, you'd hope so. And then from there, you can build getting some bigger... Get- Getting some bigger names and maybe then actually, again, if we don't win the league this year, challenge next year. Yeah, definitely. And then, look, we did earlier mention the kind of ownership situation. I'm sure all of our listeners know that the club is currently for sale. Uh, The Glazers have been out in the Middle East, definitely touting the club around there. Then Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who's previously shown interest, has now officially come out and said he will be making a bid. So, yeah, we do, I don't think there's anything absolutely imminent, but I do think at some point this year we will finally have a change of ownership. I mean, the official line from the club is still that they may be just talking about investment. They're not definitely selling. But, yeah, the Glazers, I think, now pretty clearly are looking to get out. Um mm-hmm. I think those couple of COVID years have really hit them. You know, the whole business plan of theirs has always relied on having some debt, paying off the interest and having enough money left over. But I think that kind of black hole of the two or whatever, one and a half seasons of no match day revenue has really killed them. Plus, now interest rates start going up. Plus, they know that at some point there's going to be a huge amount of money needs to be spent on a minimum refurbishing, if not rebuilding a new stadium. Uh, so, yeah, they're obviously seeing it as the right time to get out. I mean, the big question that then everybody starts having, and I know there's a couple of threads on Red Cafe about this, is, oh, you know, do you want somebody like Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who, you know, says at least that he's a Manchester United fan, although I always kind of put that inverted commas because we know he has a Chelsea season ticket and try to buy Chelsea uh, but he did grow up a Manchester United fan we're told uh, so do you, you know do you have like uh, somebody who you'd really want between him and then people talk about the big Middle Eastern money coming in whether it's Dubai or it's somebody like that and you know 
a lot of chat about sports washing, oil money. And, you know, mm. we've laughed at kind of Manchester City for many years about this kind of thing. And also Chelsea, you know, we always used to say your dirty Russian money's bought you your titles. Whereas even though, you know, we've never been fans of the Glazers, uh, at least have always done this kind of with our own generated funds. And we've never been having to like have a kind of sugar yeah. daddy benefactor to do it. Uh, so, you know, how do you feel about where we might go and who might be our new owners? I mean, so you basically you're looking at three options. You're looking at oil money. You're looking at some sort of American investment thing, and you're looking at maybe a rogue person like Jim Ratcliffe coming in. And if it's the oil money, you've got to wrestle with the the conscious of the where that money's coming from, the politics of whatever country that money's coming from, human rights issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If it's America, you've got to worry about well the lack of interest in your club, um, or who they put in charge of running these things. Um, you can take, do well, actually, like Liverpool over the last few years, run quite well by an American investment. Um, or you can see it like Chelsea currently now, where Ball is in charge doing whatever the hell he's doing. Who knows? Um, and then you got, yeah, Ratcliffe. It's an interesting one because I see people worried, like, oh, if, if someone like Ratcliffe buys the club, how can we compete with the spending of oil money? But we like you said we spend a lot of money and it's all our own money anyway so because of the amount of cash that united produce i wouldn't ever worry about that particularly because we as a club our turnover is massive um global sponsorships global rights global everything we get a lot of money in and i wouldn't ever worry about that it's more that if he buys it again using debt then that's that is the issue isn't it but you would hope that any dealing any deal currently you'd hope has no debt attached to it yeah i mean I'm, yeah we're not clear about that at all at the moment uh as i say the big big thing and i think it's one of the main reasons why the glazers are now looking to get out is that they know there's going to be big infrastructure costs needed uh you know they've managed to deal with having debt and still put enough in the club on the transfer kind of side but the amount of money that needs spending on Old Trafford is a whole different kind of question. And I guess as well, that will be a big question for anyone who's coming in. I'm sure they'll be looking at this kind of thing and thinking about what kind of investment is needed over there. Uh, you know, still not that much clarity over how much the club is actually for sale for. Uh, but re- reading around, I think we're looking at at least £5 billion, if not towards £6 billion. Uh, Chelsea went for kind of two two and a half and so yeah it's probably about sounds about right there you know you'd say that we should be worth at least double a Chelsea even though they are a Champions League team and all you know they don't have anywhere near our kind of size of fan base any near our history brand name all that kind of thing uh, so yeah we're talking I think around something like five billion which is just yeah mental mental money um, but yeah there's, that's why there's only a small amount of people who can really afford it and yeah like you say you're looking at some kind of sovereign wealth fund from the Middle East, maybe an American hedge fund and or somebody like Jim Ratcliffe. I mean, on the face of it, somebody like Sir Jim Ratcliffe seems like he should be the best option because, yeah, you know, he is Manchester United, British, and he has money. I think he's worth something like 15 billion on his own when his company's worth more like 50, 60 billion. So, yeah, the cash side of it is not like a big issue. But he has owned a couple of clubs and it doesn't seem to be going amazingly. Uh, and his main one is Nice in the French league there. And he's put a fair bit of money in there. He, he took loads of players from the Premier League there. Uh, Schmeich. Uh, Ramsey uh, there was a couple of others who ended up over there as well and they don't really be, seem to be doing that well uh, so yeah it doesn't have the best track record over there but I guess it's a totally different scenario on coming mm. and buying Manchester United so maybe we can't really compare and take too much into that Yeah I, would, I wouldn't read massively into what he's doing at Nice because it's ultimately it's a different, completely different beast isn't it yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. But yeah, these are the kind of complaints I start seeing around, especially yeah, reading around Red Cafe. I mean, personally, I'm not that bothered. It's difficult to say until anybody comes in and you see what they actually do. The main, main important thing <clears throat> is that the club is just well run at the boardroom. And we know that's been our major issue. I mean, yeah. I'm not bothered about, you know, what country anybody's from or anything like that. As you do say, if the money comes in from somewhere like Dubai, there is kind of question marks around sports washing and ethics and everything. Uh, but, you know, we see teams like Manchester City, 
being run very well. Uh, you know, even Newcastle, where there was a lot of controversy over the Saudi takeover, they're doing so well and seem to be making good decisions off the pitch without throwing ridiculous amounts of money even at it yet. Um, so, yeah, if the right decisions are made around the boardroom and everything, that is important. I mean, you can also see messages coming out from the Man United Supporters Trust, must, who say, you know, any new owner should be talking with the fans, should be getting together with the fan groups. That would be the absolute ideal situation and utopia whether it happens or not is another question. You know, we'll see from there. I don't know if you saw actually today, and this will even affect you, that they've talked about uh, that they're going to redesign the Stretford end and get rid yeah. of all that executive seating. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it does show that the club has made at least decent efforts to listen to kind of fan groups and what they're suggesting and how do we improve the atmosphere at Old Trafford. I mean, I'm in the kind of standing, safe standing section. And, yeah, I think it's great that finally we do get that option back there. And, yeah, you know, that had always been a bugbear, hadn't it, when they went and shoved all that executive air in the middle of the Stretford end. And people said it was one of the reasons that the atmosphere had kind of gone downhill. So, yeah, hopefully moving away from that can be a good idea going forward again. Yeah, it'll be below me where I sit, so it won't really affect me. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting more fans in the ground is only, only a good thing, obviously. Um, but again, it's the bigger work around the stadium that's going to be the more interesting when it needs hundreds of millions of pounds put into it to update it. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we see, you know, Real Madrid, for example, are doing huge work on redeveloping the Bernabeu at X hundreds of millions. So yeah. This will be the big thing that whatever new owner needs to look at. So, yeah, we'll keep updated on what's going on there. But, yeah, Ratcliffe's been the first one to officially come out and say he will make a bid. Uh, we'll see what comes over there. Rounding off the other bit of news, I did want to just shout, give a shout-out to Ahmad Diallo, who'd got uh, Championship Player of the Month for December. Scored again last night, actually. Uh, it was Sunderland versus Middlesbrough, where... Michael Carrick has been doing pretty well. But yeah, Ahmad Diallo cut him down over there last night. And yeah, he's absolutely smashing the championship this season. And there was, you know, brief talk earlier about whether we might recall him. But I think he's better off staying over there while he's doing yeah. well. And maybe, you know, in the summer, we should be looking to get him back at Old Trafford. I mean, yeah, if he keeps going at the rate, then you'd think he could contribute for his next season. But yeah, definitely leave him on loan. There's no point in recalling him, especially if he's in a hot streak and he's actually doing well at that club. You just want to leave him there and make sure he has a good season. Yeah, and a lot of our loan players are doing pretty well at the moment. There's Hannibal, uh, Ethan Laird, uh, Fernandez at Preston. You know, I did mention Zidane Iqbal earlier and he'd actually gone out and he was training with Preston with a view to going on loan there. That's all seems to have gone quiet. And I think it's probably due to Donny van der Beek's injury. Uh, so don't know now whether they're thinking about keeping him around. But he's barely played at all. This season's been a bit of a waste of time for him. Um, the only other one who's gone out on loan is, uh, do you see that Shola Shoretire has gone out to Bolton for the rest of the season? Mm. Uh, I think it's always nice as well when players stay relatively close to Old Trafford and can still, you know, it means they don't have to move house, can still feel quite settled and maybe even still come back and work around the academy if they need to. Uh, but yeah, he's another one who will go out now and hopefully can get some good game time, even though it is League One rather than Championship. So it's not absolutely perfect. But yeah, as long as they're getting regular game time and seeing where they're going there. Uh, we do have, a, is it a week or so left of the champ, uh, of the transfer window? I mean... Yeah, but there'll be, I don't think there'll be anything for us. I think we're done with... I mean, if we did, if you did heart. say we could pull out like, you know, it's likely to be a loan signing, one loan signing, which kind of position of the pitch do you think we need a bit more cover in? Uh, currently, you'd think either somewhere in the middle, because now Donny van der Beek's gone. Um, we are sort of a bit light because you, you, for attacking midfield, you've either got Ericsson, who's already a center, starting centre midfield anyway, or Bruno, and that's kind of it. Um, so something around the central midfield would be quite good, um, you'd think, or maybe on the right wing just to, to help Anthony, but then maybe Palestri could step up. Um, so I, I would, I'd, I'd, you would hope for some a, a good loan in the middle, but I think everyone's looking for a good loan midfielder all the time, so it's it's not exactly the easiest thing to pull off. 
Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're pretty well stocked in defence at the moment. Uh, you know, there's good cover, definitely at centre-back, uh, left-back. Of course, Dallow's out at the moment, so Wan-Bissaka's playing a lot, but you'd expect that Dallow should be back soon-ish. Uh, but yeah, I do agree with you, that midfield area maybe needs a bit more cover of, like, creative midfielders. Because, uh, you know, we have Casemiro, and yeah, we do say, look, it's a big step down to when you have McTominay or Fred, but they are there at least. But yeah, on the more creative side... Uh, there's Ericsson, and yeah, maybe Bruno can play that position. But then, yeah, the likes of Iqbal don't get a look in, and then we'll see from there. But yeah, we're not expecting anything. If anyone else comes in, it will be a bit of a bonus. But yeah, there's now these three cup games coming. I do think we need to see the squad used fully. There should be a lot of rotation so that yeah, players can be fresh for making sure we keep our Premier League challenge keep going. Because yeah, we do not want to drop back into this kind of top four race, even though you know the likes of Liverpool. Tottenham, Chelsea are not doing that great. Uh, we're still only at the halfway mark and there's a long way to go yet. Yeah. Um, we will come back with a show at some point in this runoff cup games, probably next weekend after the Reading game, I'd say. Uh, you know, the way more important ones for me are the two midweek matches. I do. I, I, um, the other thing as well is when we have all these matches, it is, again, a heart back to the old days of having two-legged semi-finals in the League Cup, uh, which kind of seems unnecessary in this day and age. Yeah, but it still. really is. Yeah. Yeah, you should just uh, one one semi-final neutral ground. They should they should capitalise on what the FA Cup has lost on the, the neutral semi-final, which was always a, a cracking event, with a semi-final at Villa Park or wherever. The uh, League Cup should capitalise on that and put a semi-final somewhere. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, actually. Yeah, yeah, I used to like that it's neutral territory. Yeah. Now it's yeah, always now at Wembley. Yeah, all semi-finals are at Wembley, and it's a bit naff. Yeah, but, yeah, um, definitely. I mean, yeah, going to semi-finals at Villa Park was class. Loved it. Um, so, I mean, you could, what, us versus Forest, you could have a semi-final at, like, Ellen Road or something. It'd be cracking, you'd think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's various options. No, yeah, I think that is a good idea. Maybe there's some something they should be looking at. As I say, there is still replays in the FA Cup, so we'd definitely rather lose that game than draw it. Uh, but yeah, we'll probably come back after that Reading game, see where we're at. But yeah, that's it for now from us for this week on United Hour. Do go and check us out on Twitter and all that kind of thing, and we will see you back next week. Thank you for listening to United Hour. Remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at United underscore hour. Please take the time to leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings. To get in touch, please email unitedhour at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.